0: Love Talk Radio.
1: my show, mark it as a favorite, or get reminders of upcoming shows. The call-in number is 347-945-5309. You can use the phone or you can call us using Skype. After you call, if you want me to open the line and let you speak on the show, then hit the number 1. It's kind of like raising your hand in class. Also, I want you to, to know that I offer a free email newsletter about metaphysics and spirituality, the coming changes, and the kinds of things that we talk about here on the show. I've been sending this free newsletter out for 11 years. To sign up for that, you go to hotpinklotus.com. I don't ever share your email address with anybody. We have a wonderful show for you today. We're going to be talking with uh, Becky Hanna, who's in Atlanta, about her trip to Burning Man this year are you there Becky? Becky?
2: Yes, hello, good morning. Hi,
1: good morning, how are you this morning?
2: I'm great, thanks for having me on.
1: Well, you're welcome. So there are people out there who know what Burning Man is and they all get excited every time you mention it, but then there are people who don't know what it is. Can you tell those people what it is?
2: Well, that's a little difficult to do because I think it means a lot of different things depending on who you are. Uh So, um, for me, it's a celebration of life. It's a celebration of expression, self-reliance, practicing all the wonderful things as a community like leaving no trace, helping your neighbor. Um, Radical self-expression is what it means to me. So...
1: It start I understand from reading their website that it started a long time ago, like what about twenty years ago on a beach near San yeah. Francisco?
2: Yes, and um I guess maybe half a dozen people, and it began actually on the solstice to celebrate the solstice and wow. um in California, they're not too keen on setting fires um, on purpose, as you can imagine. But um, they eventually were outlawed or banned or whatever um, from doing it on the beach, so they sought another place, and it's held on federal land every year. And um, they found the Black Rock Desert about an hour and a half outside of Reno, and it seems to be the perfect place for events like that.
1: So it's in Nevada.
2: Yes, it is in the Black Rock Desert. And it's very close to Pyramid Lake, actually, which I found very interesting.
1: Yeah? What's Pyramid Lake?
2: Um, Pyramid Lake, gosh, you <laughs> threw me a curveball. <laughs> it's a wonderful place. Um, it's very high energy. It's almost like when you pass it driving on the highway and you look over and see it, there's just this um, knowingness that it's a very sacred and wonderful space. Yeah, I've
1: noticed that there are a lot of people who've had sacred workshops there, like uh, Rana mm-hmm. Home. Is that how you say it, Rana or Rona? Rana. Rana Herman. Ronna Herman, uh, James Tiburon. They have sacred gatherings there. So it's one of those power spots on the earth, is my understanding, although I've never been there. It's supposed to be a real important power spot on the earth of, in terms of the ley lines and all that. That's the way I understand it. So that must mean that the the desert is... Also kind of a power spot there, the Black Rock Desert.
2: Well, you can, um, I can feel it. It's like the hair on my arm stands up when you start getting close. The energy there is very, very high. And, um, well, the city never sleeps. So Mm -hmm. you kind of have to learn how to take care of yourself and pace yourself because there is always something going on. Even in the daytime when it's hot? Even in the daytime when it's hot. Um, There are all kinds of activities. There's a center camp that um, has tons of shade and different art exhibits, and it's a gathering place, but many people have shade and shelter, and um, people wander around and visit and look at different exhibits and um, hang out in the shade in the afternoon. I used to go to a place called Hanging Around, and they had about 20 hammocks in there, so at the heat of the day, I would always take a nap. I'd just wander over there, crawl in a hammock, and take a nap. They had nice music and um, it was a wonderful place to relax in the heat of the day. So
1: so somebody just created that so that people could come relax in the heat of the day.
2: Yes. They are, just
1: shared it with everybody?
2: Yes, that's what it's all about. It's all about gifting. Um, some people think it's about barter and trading, and and I know that goes on to some extent, but people bring their talents and their gifts and different ideas to share. It's very much a gathering of people who have, these ideas, these creations, and they want feedback, they want a chance to get it out in the world, and it's a wonderful venue for that. Everything is tolerated, everything is accepted, and um, it's a very safe place to experiment with ideas that aren't really conventional, so um, yes, people just create things just for your enjoyment, and it gives them enjoyment. And there are a lot of art projects
1: too. Some of them are funded by the National Endowment for the Arts. I just discovered. I'm just blown away that they
2: that they've funded some of them. That's mm-hmm. amazing. They're incredible. Um, some of the sculptures you can climb. Um, they're really getting into interactive art. You can participate um, mm-hmm. with you know and interact with the different art pieces. One of them was this massive. Oh, and. I apologize for not knowing the name. There's so much information on their website. I'm sure you could find it if you looked around. But it was filled with all these different types of strings. Some looked like harp strings. Some looked like guitar strings. There were different sizes, shapes, made out of different uh, materials. And there was like this electronic resonator. And so when you touched anything, it was electrified and it, it talked back to you, depending on... Um, where you touched it, how you stroked it. But you could lean against it, rub against it, um, play it with your hands. I noticed people, you know, like bouncing into it. it was, and, you know, it makes different sounds each time you do that. So it was really a really pretty cool thing. Wow. So um, there, there are art
1: projects out there, too, like to get inside of. Weren't there some... I remember
2: seeing pictures of some sacred geometry
1: forms. Did you experience yes.
2: that? Yes, and actually I, um, that is pretty much what I sought out this time around. Um, there was one called the 222 Amethyst Portal, and this particular artist makes these geometric shapes that are interactive. And you can sit inside, and he also uses sound. Mm-hmm. So when you are sitting inside in this particular... Art piece held half a dozen people easily. It was it was um, we're we're getting a little bit of
1: static sometimes. Are are you on a handheld moving I around? Am. I am.
2: Yeah. I am. So is this any better?
1: Yeah, that's good.
2: Okay, I'll just stay over here then. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I hope you're in a comfortable place. Yes, I am. Thank okay. you very much. <laughs> Looking out my window, the Georgia mountains. Okay. <laughs> So um, this particular piece held about a half a dozen people, and he also incorporates sound with it. So underneath um, the, the seating, where you were sitting, came this, um, it, it was like an ohm sound, and it was a consistent thing. It reminded me of like the heartbeat of the earth or um, something of that nature, and it was a very meditative, quiet, wonderful space, and people had left um, crystals, and um, different things that meant something to them. Most of them were crystals, though, in this particular piece. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So it was a very wonderful place to escape when things got a little bit too chaotic, which is pretty easy for for it to do out there. Okay.
1: And is that where you wrote what I asked you to write? Actually,
2: I wrote what you asked me to write by the temple, the I wrote, temple. Yes, the temple. Sure. This is a city. It's a functioning city. They have everything from post office. They have their own rangers, their medics. They have a temple. They have, of course, the man, which is the um, focal point of the whole event. Um, so I wrote, I wrote it in two different places. One was on the man, and one was in the playa, what I call a dust puddle, in, uh, right next to the temple. So let's tell everybody what you wrote.
1: Um, I asked her before she left <clears> to <throat> write my name and, in all caps, Adina E-D-I-N-A, which is a form of energy medicine that I'm bringing to the planet. So let me tell you what's happened. Oh, then. okay. <clears throat> About that. I mean, you said you wrote it on the man. You mean on one of the boards that make up the burning man that they yes. eventually burn. Okay. Yes. And let's back up and say that there's nothing in this desert before the group arrives and builds it, and there's nothing there when they leave, right?
2: That's correct. If they don't clean it up completely, then they don't get the lease for the next year. Oh. So they, they lay out the city in July. Okay, so you're getting
1: real uh, fuzzy again.
2: Oh, my goodness. I haven't moved. <laughs> I don't know what to <laughs> Okay. So they lay out the city in July. If The event is held for a weekend, uh, over Labor like over-day weekend. hmm and then um, once everybody departs, there is the Department of Public Works, and they physically rake the playa in grids and get every trace of any piece of paper, anything that's left is gone. And on October 15th, the federal government inspects the land, and that is when their lease is renewed for another year, or they're allowed to come back if there is no trace. But you cannot tell. After that week is gone, it's, it's virtually empty. Wow. So what you wrote
1: uh, on there has had so far this effect. Um, on the 18th, I had a there was a little gathering for my birthday, which was the day before. And these were all people who were involved with Edina, on one level or another. They'd all been initi- initiated into this healing art, which is kind of like Reiki, only it's for the 21st century, and it's very intense stuff. But I told them about interviewing you today, and they got so excited. They all knew about Burning Man, and I'd never mentioned it to any of them before. They all got excited and said, "Let's go next year. Let's create a temple. Let's uh, show everybody what this is like." Let's. Oh, and they just just they were wired. Everybody was. You almost had to pull them down from floating above the table. Everybody got so excited. So. I think it's, a re- I, you know, you know how I think. I think it's related to what you did. Oh, that's very exciting. Writing it on the Playa and the Burning Man. So I yes. just thought I'd stick that in there. Yeah.
2: So the first time you went was last year, right? Yes. In okay. 2008, I had an opportunity to work there. And so I was first on, last off, which meant I was there for an entire month. And I ran the dining hall and the commissary. And the commissary is only for people, the infrastructure of the city. Mm -hmm. So we fed the Department of Public Works. We fed the rangers. We fed the um, people that worked at the airport, um, the artists, some of the artists that came in early to put up their installations. Um, So the people who run the city is who we fed because nobody else in the city even really knows you're there Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Um, because there is no commerce. Even though it's a commissary, Um, You can't buy anything there. Mm
1: -hmm. So everybody has to bring all their own food and all their own water? Yes. Wow. Yes. And
2: um, it's about totally being self-sufficient. So you figure what you need, and then you bring a little extra, because once you're there, there's no no store to go buy anything. The only things that they sell are ice and um, coffee at the center camp. You can get coffee or chai latte. I mean, they have a complete. It's like a little Starbucks in the middle of the desert. <laughs> That's so, kind
1: of amazing. Yeah, I
2: gotta have your coffee. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. So you have to bring enough drinking water to last you the whole time you're there. That's correct. And if you want to shower, you need to bring enough water to do that as well. And all your water needs to be collected. All the great water, you cannot dump it on the playa. Um, it turns into cement is what it does. It's a dust. It's not a sand.
0: Uh Um,
2: But you have to provide for a way. And a lot of them um, just have these little evaporation pools. So they'll bring like a little blow-up in a tube thingy and they'll shower into that. And then during the day, it evaporates. Wow. So clever. Yeah. Well, and it's it's interesting because everybody shares ideas and when you see people who have been there year after year, you pick up on an easier way to do something. But half of the fun of the whole event is planning for it, and setting aside things you know that'll be fun. People wear costumes, um, you know, fantasies are played out, you know, friends are met, alliances struck, you know, um, ideas are shared. It's a really a very open society, and like any city, whatever you go there wanting to find, that's what you'll find. So.
1: One of the ways I've heard it described as this is a gathering of the tribes. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That that rings true. I can believe that. I can believe that. the American Indians used to have gatherings of the tribes, and this is our
2: version of it. This is one of the things it's evolving into. Um, I really believe that. It's an international event. I don't think people realize how many people come from overseas for this event. Um, and um, the idea of fire is very primal, very tribal, and it's all about celebrating fire, and fire is art. And, um, you know, people dancing around it and people marveling in it and sharing ideas about how to build a better flamethrower. It's it's really pretty crazy, but it's an international event. You'll hear different languages anywhere you go and turn, which really kind of surprised me when I first went. And then I realized that a lot of the pyrotechnics experts are Chinese, and a lot of um, fireworks are tested out there. Um, A lot of different, pardon me? Tested? Well, I think, um, yeah, like they come up with different prototypes. There is a, um, just like I know that there's a club, and most of them are retired NASA people, and they build rocket ships. You know, they build their own little rockets and then they go out on the desert and they, you know, test different techniques because they can launch things, they can burn things, they can, you know, they have a vast expanse to play with. Now, of course, it has to be approved through, um, you know, the Burning Man Council and that, but um, as long as they know what they're doing, it's usually okay. You just have to go through the proper channels to be able to do that. So a lot of ideas and techniques are shared or introduced there. And what surprised me, there's a group of women. It's, they're called the Flaming Lotus Girls. And they oh, do my an God, art I
1: love that name. Yeah,
2: I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they do an art piece every year with fire, and what I didn't realize is that they write computer software to get it to flame at different times, to music or um, different beats and rhythms, and they have different scenarios. So this same piece of art fires at different times on different days and does different things. It's, it's really amazing to see. And, um, and a lot of that's developed out there, collaboration and um, artists who are experimenting with things, and there's a lot of Silicon Valley types that are there with um, interactive games and people that are passing by, like, hey, you want to try this? Or there's a group gathering for a demonstration, and you can try out, um, like, the step pads, like the Wii and stuff. They hook up all these electronics and things. right in the, it's, in, it's amazing, it's right in the middle of nowhere.
1: Where does that energy come from?
2: Um... You know, I, I, oh, you mean to work so it all? To
1: games, yeah.
2: To um, generators. Gasoline generators? Um, some are solar powered. They use as much solar power as they're able. Um, some are gasoline generators. Um, and that's a good question. I'm sure there's more information on the website. But the city does hum, like the man is all dressed up in neon at night. He's um, like a beacon from all over. And um, I do know there's a whole solar-powered community out there. I believe, actually, the man might even be generated by solar power because you see panels out in the middle of nowhere, you know, that um, run things. So there is a
1: lot of solar energy out there. Yes,
2: yes. Well, there's a lot of sun out there, and it's very hot. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, that would make sense. There's, we've got a caller. Let's see what if this person has a question. Okay. Hello. Whoops, I hit, I hung up on them. What? Hi, you have a question? Area code four o four. Hello. Apparently not. Because they didn't say anything, but they're still, they were still there. Okay, they didn't want to talk. Um. <clears throat> So the first time you went, you were there a whole month. Were you staying in a tent
2: a whole month? Um, No. I was part of, um, I was a vendor, Mm -hmm. not a vendor, a contractor. Mm -hmm. Um, And we stayed in um, RVs. And the company that I worked for does um, on-site catering and mostly for emergencies, like like forest fires, hurricanes, um, feeding relief workers, and that type of thing. But they were contracted with Burning Man um, to feed the infrastructure and feed the city. So I was, like I said, I was first on. We built the dining hall. We put up the dining hall tent, set it all up. It was a series of um, tractor trailers. One was a freezer. One was dry storage. One was a prep trailer where they did all the produce, salads, and um, back-of-house prep stuff. And then one was an actual kitchen with fryers and um, all kinds of stuff. It's a pretty slick operation, actually. So, um, so you, I got, you slept in like a Winnebago or something? Yes, yes. And there were um, anywhere from two to four people per trailer. And um, so I lived in there. They also had a shower, um, a shower trailer. So we had access to water, which most people who are there do not. <clears throat> there are a lot so, of sweaty people there, huh? Well, you'd think there were, but they're mostly dusty people. Everything evaporates very, very quickly. And so that's why you don't really know that you're dehydrating. You know, all of a sudden you'll see this salty crust on your skin. And it's like, ooh, I better make sure I'm drinking enough water. Mm-hmm. So cause it evaporates almost um, as soon as you sweat.
1: Yeah, and anybody who lives in a more humid climate would be totally unaware that they were sweating. Yep. So what was the most exciting thing you ever saw at Burning Man?
2: Wow. The most exciting. Um, well, the most exciting thing that happens there to me is the temple burn. Um, it's an amazing thing to watch. Because um, this temple, you visit it during the week, it's a wonderful place, and then at the end of the week they burn it down. But it's a very somber, um, touching, moving experience. So um, what kinds uh, of things happen in that temple? Um, well, people come to remember their friends, family, um, any loved ones, pets. and it's where they honor them. And so you'll see a lot of things. Um, they build little shrines within. You know they write on the rafters and the you know all the things that you know the the materials the building materials, the wood and um, you know they it's it's a way of honoring those that have passed in the last year and um, the night of the burn there are people who chant and sing and kind of set a very somber mood but this year. Um, I noticed dust devils. The way the temple burned, there were all these little dust devils and little tornadoes that, that um, moved around it. So hmm. that was incredible to watch. You'd be watching it burn, and all of a sudden, you know, this little dust devil would emerge and go across the playa. It was amazing. Wow. So,
1: And how big was this temple?
2: Um, that's a really good question, too. Many, many feet in the air. many um, Maybe two or three stories because you could climb up into it. Really? Yeah. Um, it wasn't a small thing.
1: And across the bottom? I mean, was it like three people long head to foot? or? Oh,
2: no. It was much, much larger than that. Um, I would say maybe... Twenty yards, like really? twenty yards.
0: Wow, is
2: a pretty big foundation because you could have. There were like fifty or sixty people, you know, waiting to get up and down the stairs. I mean, there were many people within the structure um, at once, mm-hmm. climbing up and down and building things and writing things and. Um, remembering That's a big people. thing
1: to build. And then burn down.
2: Yep. And they do it all very, very quickly. It's the same with the, um, with the man. And I think the man may start, um, the man is pretty much the same size every year. Um, and the base change the changes depending on the theme and, um, well, the theme and the design, because it's a different um, artist, I believe, pretty much every year, too. So. Very large structures, yeah. To burn down, yeah, they're it's pretty amazing.
1: So it's hot in the daytime, but it's not at night, right? And that's when they do the burning.
2: Yes. Usually, um, if they start around ten at night, and it depends on the weather too, because there's a lot of dust storms out there, Um, or there can be. I think that varies from year to year. So,
1: how cold does it get at night?
2: Um. It's actually very comfortable at night, 55 to 60 degrees, and then it gets up to 95 during the day, 90. If a cold front comes through, it's about 85. <laughs> cool. um,
1: Sounds like Houston cold front makes it 85. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. have you ever seen anything that shocked you?
2: Um, I guess I've been surprised a couple of times. Some of my favorite things out there are the art cars. And um, they also call them mutant vehicles, and it reminds you of, like, Mad Max. Um, If you've ever seen any Mad Max movies with the weird cars that shoot flames and Mm -hmm. um, all of those things. And then they take, like, double-decker buses, and then they decorate them, and they play techno music, or there's a little disco dance floor on the top. It's pretty crazy. But they're fun. I mean, the creativity there is off the hook. So if you think the American... um, you know, quit watching the news and turn that creativity towards something else because it's pretty amazing.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, we have an art car parade in Houston every year, and they're they're shocking some of those art cars.
2: Shocking. It's, yeah, it's wonderful to see what you know what people come up with and how they uh-huh. create it. So exactly. Um, so have you ever
1: seen any? Um, I've heard there's uh, there are people who run around naked out there. Is that true?
2: Oh, yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> really?
2: <laughs> well, and, you know, the thing is, is you know, everything is tolerated, and, it, and it's a place where they can go naked and they're not arrested, they're not harassed. But um, at the same time, you know, it's, um, it's not shocking because it's allowed. And uh-huh. after a while, you don't even really notice it, it or care or, um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily something I would do or am attracted to, but it doesn't bother me. So, mm-hmm. um, yes, that happens. There's all kinds of crazy things that happen, just like in any city. You know, you're you're going to find whatever you go there to find. Um, it sounds like you
1: can find some things there that you can't find in Houston <laughs> <laughs>
0: or oh, Atlanta. So, um.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you, there are plenty of places you can go that you quickly become accustomed to nudity, like uh, Stuart Mineral Springs, you know, where people oh. are walking around nude it's because true. it's a spa.
2: Yeah, it's clothing optional.
1: Mhm. And um, there are plenty of places like
2: that, although most people
1: are, I think, not aware. I mean, yeah. the average person.
2: Right, if you like to be nude, then you know about those places.
1: I'll bet that's true.
2: <laughs> so um,
1: is there anything else like amazing or surprising that you've witnessed that, that
2: people would be interested in hearing about? Um, maybe not so surprising, but I was very awe-stricken at how they solve problems And um, like the first year I was there, um, I can't remember the specific incident, but how um, everybody just pitches in to do what needs to be done in the moment. And I was much more aware of um, being in the moment because there's no communication. There's no email to check. There's no voicemail to check. Um, You know, it's daytime or it's nighttime. And when a problem arises or something needs to be done in a short amount of time, people just pitched in and did it. It, um, it wasn't, well, that's not my job or, um, you know, I need to get this done. In the meantime, it was um, everybody, all hands on deck, let's just solve the problem. And that type of cooperation, I've not seen it at that level because you're talking um, something that affects thousands as opposed to, you know, just one person's problem. And I thought that was really cool how everything just everybody just rallies and does what needs to be done in a moment. Yeah, I've seen that after
1: a hurricane when you know there's no water, there's no food, there's no communication, and and everybody's barbecuing out in their yard. People get like that in a situation like so. There aren't any cell phones either, are there? Pardon me. There are no cell phones out there either. Is there, is there any reception out there?
2: Um, no Now, this year there was a big hubbub. I guess if you had an iPhone, and I never real I heard about it, and I also read about it online a little bit. but there was a lot of um debate going on over whether or not that was a good thing. Because, you know, here, you know, there is no reception because, I mean, what cell company wants to waste the money to put a tower out there that affects nobody except once a year? Um, So cell phone, they they use satellite phones. Uh Uh-huh. And um, And, I guess the iPhones worked this year, but I wasn't aware to what extent. I personally like just dropping off the grid. I like to be out of touch. Nobody can reach me. I can't reach anybody else because it forces you to really be in the moment all the time,
1: mm-hmm. and that
2: is a practice that's difficult out here in in this world
1: especially now, now that there are cell phones and mm-hmm. everybody's on them, and i I watch particularly mothers with small children. Know, pushing the cart through the grocery store and talking on the cell phone while their children are trying to talk to them and mm-hmm. they're ignoring the kids and it's like then then the kids are growing up when they get bigger to be constantly on their Game Boy or their iPhone or whatever they're on mm-hmm. and nobody's paying attention to anyone else and everybody's paying attention to electronics and it's, yep. Yep. Uh, there's something about... Not doing that and just doing the be here now thing that I think mm-hmm. would be really good for everybody. So it was kind of like that when we were all in the Grand Canyon summer before, well, this summer of 2008 too. We didn't have any cell reception and everybody was in the moment. Yep. Yep. There's a I lot love. to be said for that, I think. Oh, yeah. Yep. And there's a lot to be said for finding a place on the earth where there are no electromagnetic fields to speak of and it's getting harder and harder to find that because right. those those affect your body i mean they affect every cell in your body Mm-hmm. and um so let's see i've not been there so i'm not sure what to ask you is there anything else you want to tell us about the experience this <laughs> year that how is this year different than last let's go there
2: Okay. Um, Well, this year I was able to participate in a lot more. Um, When I was there the year before, even though I was there for a lot longer, the event only lasts a week, and I was working. I mean, my my work day was, the shortest day was nine hours, and I think my longest was around 17. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't leave you a lot of time to um, go out and explore. And I didn't have a day off. I didn't have any time off during the burn. So this year I was able to participate, and I volunteered as a lamp lighter. And I worked in um, a village of about 200 people, and our job was to light the city every night. And it was actually quite ceremonial. They call it the oldest performance art on the playa, and um, they have these um, places where you hang lanterns, and so. Every night we lit the city in a procession type manner and then every morning we went out and collected the lanterns and then got them ready for the next nights uh you know to put up for the next night. So that was nice. um and it was also a very um moving experience to be in the procession you know people you know saying hey thank you lamplighters I it, I mean it sounds kind of corny but um it was really n- nice to be able to participate in that way. And that's something I didn't have a chance to do last year.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I also got to um, go out farther on the playa and experience things like the 222 Amethyst Portal, which um, when I was working, you know, my time was very limited, and so I tended to stay a lot closer to where I was working.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And a bicycle is a must-have out there, and they have a wonderful policy, and they have what they call yellow bikes. And curiously enough, they're painted green, but they're community bikes. And whenever you find one, you can pick it up and ride it to wherever you need. And uh, don't be surprised if it's gone when you're trying to get home. But <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: great.
0: But,
2: but you, um, they have, I think, this year they had 800 of them. Wow. And so you'd ride out, I would I would walk out to the temple, oh my gosh, yay, there's a bike here and I could ride back, because <laughs> it's a long walk. <laughs> yeah. Nothing's really close together out there, except, you know, by center camp and in the populated areas. Like where a, a lot of the bigger art pieces are, um, there's a lot of space around them so that a lot of people can gather and, you know, experience it in this vastness. hmm So community bikes are good. It's a little difficult when you're flying in to take everything you need and just a couple suitcases.
0: Yeah.
2: And so that can be – I found that to be a little bit daunting this year Um, when last year I had everything there for me. I had the food. I had a place to bathe. I had a place to sleep. And then this year I had a tent. (laughs) I had everything in two suitcases, food, water. We rented a car. Um, so it was packed, so but it was how, good.
1: How was it sleeping in a tent out there?
2: It was horrible. <laughs> so it, was only, it, was, um, it was okay. I had shelter. The, the bad thing was um, during a sandstorm or sandstorm, dust storm, um, that got to me a little more than it did last year because I didn't have a place to kind of close off other than a tent. Mm -hmm. and it was hot, and it was miserable, and I could only sit up. It was just a two-man tent. So there were a couple of times when I was just absolutely miserable. Um, The dust really got to me a lot more this year than it did last year. So um, you have a respirator, goggles. um, You know, you look like some type of alien. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You really need to protect yourself. I mean, the dust actually made my glands swell, and my throat was sore. Uh-huh. Um, I would stay dehydrated, and after a while, I was just like, oh, is this ever going to stop? Mm. So, and that was during the dust storms? That was during the dust storms. It would pop up out of nowhere. Actually, when I was um, meditating in the amethyst portal, we could watch it roll. We um, You know, after a while, um, you could just watch the dust roll down the playa, and it would, like, go out around us. Um, so, I was well protected in the portal at that time, and then stayed there and kind of rode out one of the bigger storms until it died down and I could see the playa a little more clearly, because when that dust starts swirling, you just, you've got to stop, because you don't know where you are, you don't know which direction you're heading, it's very disorienting. Really? Yes. It's kind of like fog. Um, yeah, yeah, and they oh. tell you to stop, because, um... You're going to run into somebody or something. You can, I mean, you can, literally can't see to go anywhere, and so you but just you just sit have down to and write it, it out.
1: out. You, yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. So next time you're going to take a Winnebago or something?
2: <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm not put much. together a group in a Winnebago.
2: That would be a blast.
1: Yeah. And, and at,
2: at least did, now, did those have air conditioning? Um, some did, um, and you know, every now and then you'd hear a generator pop on, um, somebody trying to cool off, you know, during the heat of the day or, or whatever. Um, but at least during a storm, you have better shelter, and the dust is still going to get in, but it's not going to be nearly the severity or extent that it it is if you're in a tent, or if you're caught out in it.
1: I'm wondering how much the activity of human beings out there on the playa um, affects the creation of the dust
2: devils and the dust storms. Well, actually, I got a pretty good idea this year, because this year I was only there for a week. When I was there last year, we probably had four or five dust storms in three weeks, maybe. Maybe. Mm-hmm. And when the people started arriving, they had total whiteouts. And then during the week, they had whiteouts um, frequently. And I noticed this year it was, um, we had several dust storms, several whiteouts for periods of time. And to me, it's a, a really strong indication of the chaotic energy that people have. There is such a huge release of emotion, creativity people bringing expectations, Um, and I know that wind is clearing. And to me, I got a very clear sense that um, people came there to leave all of the chaos and to express the creativity, and all of that is energy. And so um, when you have that many people in a concentrated spot, it only makes sense that there's uh, clearing constantly going on. Mm-hmm. At least that was my um, interpretation of it this year. Well, I'm I just
1: started reading a book about by a guy who's got about six PhDs and three MDs or something, and I cannot remember his name. But it's about energy fields, and he's done studies that absolutely and totally verify what you just said.
0: Oh well.
1: That energy, the space is not empty out there in outer space. It's Mm -hmm. full, just chock full of overlapping energy fields. Mm -hmm. And so is the planet. And everybody's energy field affects everybody else. And every thing's energy field. And he talks about how dogs, as they're running by, if they're if they've got long fur, Mm -hmm. they all set off waves. The fur, every little hair sets off waves. Oh my! Yeah. That affects everybody as they run by. And same with long hair on a person.
2: I'll be as you fine. move your
1: hair, it sets off energy waves that affect the fields. Huh. So I cannot wait to finish that book. It's awesome.
2: Yeah, it sounds like it.
1: Um, so, yeah, that's probably what's going on is that, uh, you know, emotions have energy fields. So if people are out there doing release work like crazy, sounds like a perfect place to do it. Yeah then that would kick up all kinds of things and, and the visual manifestation of it is the wind. Right. Which
2: then moves the dust. Well it I'm I really noticed that this year. And also we were out there during a full moon. Oh wow. Um, I think the moon was full on Friday, the man burned on Saturday, the temple burn was Sunday and then Monday it was over. It was the Exodus is what they call it. They call it what? The, the exodus, exodus when everybody exodus leaves. Mhm.
1: I love that. <laughs> yeah, so biblical.
2: Yes, and they call the um, the outside world where we are now. They call it the default world,
0: <laughs>
2: which I just love that idea because it's like people are unconscious and so they just get the default answer. You know,
1: unless they're in my house.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hard
1: to be around. That's true. <laughs> Okay, well, default world, I love that.
2: Yeah, it's like, I don't want to go back to the default world. (laughs) And then they talk about reentry and how difficult reentry is into the default world after being in this creative space for a year or for a week.
1: You know, it sounds like a template for the future. It really does.
2: Yeah, I can see that on many levels. The um, organization... Has it's a very high energy, new energy, long before its time, and they um, they do wonderful things for the community um, in Gerlach, um, the town that's closest to the playa. Um, and also they have programs of burners without borders, um, which bring in. I mean, you're working with people from Israel and Ireland and, you know, and it, all over the place. And they fund um, different art projects all over the world. And they save art programs in schools, you know, that um, have to cut them because of funding. So they do a lot behind the scenes. There's a Burning Man Foundation. I forget what the text is, you know, with the name of the world but Okay, and they're called Burners Without Borders? Is Burners that? Without Borders. And so if someone... In, um, they went to Katrina. I think that's when it started. Right after Burning Man, Katrina hit. And a lot of people from Burning Man went directly there and helped them. What they did is they built structures, art structures, out of the trash and debris, and then they burned them because had, they had to be burned anyway. And wow. so they were trying to see – they were trying to show the people there. Um, you know, I guess everybody kind of got into the whole thing, like, you know, all of the debris that was laying around in the wood, they just nailed it all together with all of the junk and made stuff out of it, and then they, then they burned it. Wow. Yeah. So that's how the, how it got started. And then I happened to work with a lady in the commissary, well, two people, actually, in the commissary. One was from Israel. His name was uh, Salome. And then, um or Shal- Sh- Oh, gosh whatever his name was, Shalomi, Slomi, something like that. He said it's like salami, but not, you know, with a sh sound. And then um, someone we called E, and she was from Ireland, and they both came over on a scholarship. So they got their transportation, a place to stay, and food in exchange for work and um, sharing culture, you know. Um, Fabulous like- idea. Yeah yeah, so there's people. and they are and they're in different departments and different places where they can interact with different people and cultures, but um, they all share this commonality of uh, community. So there's an incredible community, and it's incredibly new energy. And the energy out there is you feel it very, very much when you're there. And that's why you really have to take care of yourself, because you're sitting under sleep. And there's always something to do.
1: And it's really um, hard to stop and sleep, isn't it? It is, because the energy is so intense. And because it's an exciting place to be. It is an exciting place. It's like going to the future, it sounds to me like. Yeah. Yes, and you'll laugh
2: a lot. I think it's very good for um,
1: just release. overall
2: well-being.
1: Yeah, laughter is a form of release.
2: hmm yeah, I've heard that before. Oh, I never—I yeah. always thought about crying and tears. and
1: Oh, yeah, crying and having strange bowel movements and, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But laughing is a form of release, and I i wish I'd known that when I first got involved in metaphysics because I used to get mad at my ex-husband because I would be teaching him, you know, tones to sing for release work, and he'd start giggling, and I'd think, oh, you're just irreverent. But bless his heart, he was releasing. Oh, oh. Yeah, laughter is a powerful form of release work.
2: Well, I released an awful lot out there then, I laughed the whole week.
1: (laughs) I want to go out there and laugh. Yeah, Yeah, it's fun. (laughs) So I heard there were like 48,000 people there last year. Uh, That would not surprise me. And so people from foreign countries, that part surprises me. I, I guess I didn't realize it was that, that it was known about all over the world.
2: Well... I know. I mean, a lot of people in the United States don't even know about it.
1: That's the weird part, huh?
2: Yeah. Um, I guess the second largest, they take a census every year, too. Um, Really? Yeah. They have a census taker at center camp. And you sit there and they have, you know, you throw out these things and they pay attention to who comes and what they like and what they don't like if something frightens them. And you know um what did type you say of art? something
1: frightens
2: them well well some people come and they don't stay um, mm-hmm. they come to experience it and yet they get afraid of the um or they don't like something maybe they don't like the nudity or um oh. or when they're walking around they're afraid that someone might jump them, although there's really no crime if you um i you know in speaking with the rangers i mean there's police everywhere um, and the rangers are Black Rock City rangers, and they interface between the Nevada State Police, the uh, Bureau of Land Management, the federal people that are also there. There's all kinds of policemen there, but um, they're there to just make sure that everything is safe. They're not out to harass you. I mean, if you are being an idiot or whatever, then of course they'll pick you up for you know, disorderly conduct or whatever. So it's not like it's a lawless society. But there's really no crime. There's, um, you'd be surprised. There, you know, nobody steals, nobody um, um, assaults um, anybody else. It's very, it, you know, it's just a community that comes together for a week and lives in harmony. And it's all about harmony. I mean, there's no locks on the tent. There's no, you know, um, like even at the commissary, things are left out 24/7. And nobody comes in and takes it or steals anything or runs away with it. It's pretty amazing, actually.
1: Hmm. yeah, that is amazing, but I think it it probably attracts a certain kind of people.
2: I think it does too um but and then the ones that just want to come for a taste of it um I do know there's a a lot like, um during the week there was the let's the last time I looked at the census board, it was like twenty eight thousand people. And then on Thursday, there's a huge influx um, for the weekend, like Thursday and Friday, and then the man burns on Saturday. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of people from California, and it's maybe a four- or five-hour drive or a day's drive, but, you know, not that far, and they just come for the weekend and then leave on Monday. Mm -hmm. So they just come for a few days to experience, you know, what they can, and then they're not um, embedded in the elements like the entire week because it can really wear on you physically.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, it, it did for you, didn't it? I mean, you had yeah, to spend a day in
2: the tent. Yep. Yeah. This this year it was more difficult physically because I didn't have the protection like of the like I worked in the dining hall, so there's a huge tent mm-hmm. that you can batten down during a dust storm, and yes, it still comes in, but not to the extent. And I also had a nice air conditioned place to sleep at night. Yeah,
0: makes so, a huge difference.
2: Oh, it makes a huge difference, especially um, your respiratory system. And also I had access to, um, you know, the different Gatorades and all of that stuff, so I was able to keep hydrated a lot easier the year before. Mm-hmm.
1: So. Yeah, powdered Gatorade would be a good idea just to mix with that water that you brought. Yep. I can yep. buy that at Target. Yeah. <laughs> it's indefinitely. Um, so what was... Oh, I know what I wanted to say. You said that your glands got filled with uh, dust. I'm thinking that one of the things that probably happens to people out there where you're just sweating all the time, especially if you're sleeping in a tent, Mm -hmm. is that you are, uh, I mean, the lymph system is the sewage system of the body. So the lymph Mm -hmm. system would be kicking into high gear in order to clear out things that it hadn't had an opportunity to clear because one of the ways it clears is, it sends things to the kidneys and then out the urine. But the other way that it clears is um, sweating. Mm-hmm. And those of us who hardly ever sweat are more likely to become ill. And so maybe that was part of what was going on with your glands. And you mean like under your tongue and your neck there being swollen?
2: Yes. My neck especially, my throat was incredibly sore. And I felt almost like I was going to, I was getting the mumps, my um Glands in my throat were incredibly swollen and very tender. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I was very grumpy. Um, but I, I never really, I don't sweat like a lot of people. I get beet red and get clammy. And actually, when I was growing up, um, my gym teacher would always set me aside because I always looked like I was going to stroke out because I'm beet red. But that's just the way my body sweats. Um, I don't drip sweat per se um unless I'm in a sauna for a long period of time and i and I love the sauna and I love the heat, but um,
1: I turn beet red and I drip
2: yeah, <laughs> yes, but this time it was um it- it just overwhelmed me, it really yeah. did overwhelm me I'd not had that experience, and I was just miserable for oh probably a good twelve hours mm-hmm. um and um, I just, you know, the more I drank, the, you know, I never, ha- I didn't have to go to the restroom. Um, and nothing came out. It was just, I was just miserable with the dust yeah. and tired of it.
1: It sounds like you didn't have enough fluid if you couldn't go to the bathroom.
2: Yeah, and well, the more I drank, you know, it's, it's like, where does it go? You know, it's You're not something dumb- it out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. That's where
1: it was going. Um. So I mean, that's my. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I think it was doing. Yeah.
2: Um yeah, bodily functions out there are a, a bit trippy too cuz there's only porta johns or jiffy johns. Uh-huh. And they they can get pretty disgusting, although they do a really good job of cleaning them every day. Um after a while it's just like, ah, yeah. you just don't want to deal with it.
1: Yeah. Like a one of the older outhouses
2: can get Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, are you going to do it again next year?
2: Well, we'll see. Um, I'm not really sure it's going to be an annual pilgrimage, but uh, if the opportunity arises and the cosmic cogs fall into place, I'll definitely go back, that's for sure.
1: And especially if somebody with a, an RV invites you?
2: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it would be so much easier that way.
1: Mm-hmm. Sounds like or the way to go. If I were 21, that would be different, but I am not 21 anymore. Well,
2: and that's what I found out this last time. It's like, you know, I'm just a little bit past the time where hanging out in a tent for a week is comfortable in the middle of the desert.
1: Yeah, really. So
2: one or two days, not a problem, but a week really, really took it out of me. Mhm. Yeah, I, I,
1: think, I think after you hit 40, it's a good idea to have... Uh, Uh, An RV, yeah, in the desert. I do a few creature
2: comforts, but then again, that's part of the experience. You know, I'm really glad that I did it. I've had that experience, Uh and it certainly wouldn't keep me from going back. But um, I might pack a little differently, get a better respirator. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, respirators come in all different. I'm thinking one of those kinds that you get at, at uh, the military surplus stores.
2: Those, yes, that would that would be what I did. Would, would do with, um, you know, plenty of filters,
1: oh. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: <clears throat> so that you can change them out.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yep. Well, our time is almost up, and it, do you have any last words? Um, or have you already said
2: them? Well, I just I would highly recommend this. It, for anybody um it will open your creativity it'll um you'll get so many crazy ideas and wonderful ideas and bring them back to the default world and concepts and um i just think everyone ought to experience it at least once in their lifetime
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it changes the default world doesn't it i believe it does well it changed me it, it definitely changed me in my perspective my tolerance and um, judgments, all of that. It's like I am so much more allowing than I was a few years ago, mm-hmm. of everybody and everything. You know, there's enough room in this world for everybody's opinion, everybody's ideas, um, without judgment. Mm-hmm. So, excellent. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you for being with us today and telling us about your experiences at Burning
2: Man. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciated the opportunity. Thanks.
1: Oh, let's tell people your website. You just put up a new website.
2: I did. I did. It's um, www.masterinpractice.com.
1: And you do EMS balancing, right? I do. What else it's, do you do?
2: Um, um, oh, I do just about everything. <laughs> a little bit of this and a little bit of that. The EMF balancing technique is um, an energy mobility. It is one of many,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: it deals with um, the sacred geometry of the human body. Mm-hmm. and the templates so that you can carry more of a charge in your everyday life. It helps you to um um it's it's using your body's innate wisdom. I just facilitate like any energy work, but um I love it and uh found great value in it. So
1: um, very cool. So the website again is masterinpractice.com and this is Becky Hanna who is in Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you, Becky. Thank you, Lois. Greatly appreciated. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And Thank you for coming today. Very appreciative of everybody who listens, everybody who calls in, everybody who gets on the chat and asks a question, and everybody who listens to the archive, of which there are many.